financial literacy, and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Good morning. Good morning, Jess. How are you? I am doing good. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm, I'm planning a summer vacation that I don't have money for, and I don't know where I'm going. I just know I need time off. You always tell me this, and you always <laughs> on your feet. I think you, like many people, might be more uh, self-effacing than is than is needed. But yeah, everybody needs a little time off. That gets harder, I think, when you're a homeowner. You know, I, I have a friend right now who's trying to go away for six weeks, and they have a dog and a home. Yeah. And they had a home sitter who was going to stay and take care of the dog and take care of the house. And two weeks before a six-week European vacation, they bailed. So yeah. they've been scrambling. Yeah. I know a lot of people that, especially in the winter, because we're in New England, worry about the pipes freezing so they can't go at all. Ah, yeah. I mean, leaving your faucets dripping. Mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. But it's not quite the same. So. You know, a lot of people, I think we tend to think that the owning a home is the American dream and everybody must do it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of rhetoric around that, a lot of peer pressure, uh, expectations, um, opinions. You know, I, I have a sister, one of my sisters lives in an apartment. She has always lived in an apartment. Well, not always, actually. She owned a home for a short period of time. But she prefers to live in an apartment because if something breaks, she calls the landlord. Mm-hmm. That's it. And, you know, her rent keeps going up, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's what rent do. She doesn't build any equity. And she doesn't care. She's just like, I don't want to own a home. I don't want to worry about the roof or whatever it is that people worry about with a home. So recently, you sent me an article, which was interesting, got under my skin a little bit as things. (laughs) And it said, a financial planner said, if you want to create wealth instantly and you think you're doing that by buying a home, think again. Yeah. So I would say... First of all, I'm not against buying a home. I own a home, right? It's not an investment for me in the same way that a monetary investment might be. And I think we can blame the government a bit for this. Because of interest must, rates or? No, because of, well, I'll call it propaganda. I, you know, maybe it's, <laughs> but, and you probably remember when uh, home equity lines of credit and home equity loans, which we had never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be. In fact, we would call it a second mortgage if you could get a second mortgage on your house. Mm-hmm. They softened that language by calling it a home equity line or a home equity loan. To this day, when people have trouble filling out the debt form for us on online, mm-hmm. they don't know what all that loan. We had to put in the drop-down menu those terms because people didn't recognize that they were, in fact, a second mortgage on their home which just goes to show you how powerful marketing, advertising, government correspondence and rhetoric can be. So let's go back in history just a bit. Okay. To to before anybody had figured out much about mortgages. Now, I think we did a show once talking about who was the first entity to offer mortgages, and it was not a bank. It was an insurance company. Hmm. And they did it for what I would call rather nefarious reasons. <laughs> they, <laughs> they would offer a five-year mortgage, if you can imagine, five years to pay off your house. And well, if you didn't pay it off, they foreclosed. At that time, the houses obviously were way cheaper though, right? Well, you know, that's what people always say. And it is true that as a percentage of your income, mm-hmm. how 
were cheaper. But when you think about it, most households only had one income at that time. Mm, that's true. That's true. I remember so when was, my parents bought our first house, it was $40,000. Yeah. But you're right. right. Only my dad was working. So that is interesting. Well, it is because when the one person who was working, and it was usually the, the husband in the family, if he lost his job, you know, then the insurance company would come in and, hey, you can't make your payment and foreclose on the house. Mm -hmm. So they actually offered these mortgages as a way to own the property. Now, mm. fast forward into banks and government getting involved, and we got longer and longer terms of mortgages. First, it was 10 years, then it was 15, then it was 20. Now we have mortgages out in California that'll go 40 years plus. Because oh, wow. the house, yeah, the houses are just so expensive that you can't afford the payment even on your high-tech income. So they just give you longer to pay for it. That's interesting because I always watch House Hunters in those shows, and I'm like, how are these people affording a million-dollar house? But if it's 40 years, that does... Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and interest rates do come into play here. But where I was headed with this is because of the shift in how we now perceive our homes, right? Somebody figured out, hey, you can give, get a mortgage and you can pay for it monthly. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing that came for maybe not completely in order, but one of the things that came out, they were beating the drum about all the time. And the reason I mentioned home equity lines is because they would start to say, you know, you need to build equity in your house. That's going to be in some way helpful in your retirement. Mm -hmm. But it's only helpful if you sell your house. Right. And then you've got to figure out a place to live with these enormous prices. Yeah. And exactly. Where else are you going to live? Mm -hmm. I have a friend right now who is complaining that he's feeling sort of stuck in his condominium, which he owns outright. Mm -hmm. But the homeowners association fees are $500 a month. Mm -hmm. And he's upset because he doesn't feel like he's getting anywhere near $500 a month worth of value out of it. Right. And saying to him, where are you going to live for 500 bucks a month? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Now he can sell the condo and he can roll that money into something else. But you can see why I'm saying, you know, this financial planner brings up a good point. If you think you're buying a home to build wealth, if you are rationalizing or deluding yourself, hey, I'm going to buy a house and this is how I'm going to build wealth. If it is your primary residence, you need to do a little check on that and say, wait a minute, am I kidding myself? I want to buy a house because I want to buy a house. Mm -hmm. I want to live there. I want to fix it up. I want to have my friends over for dinner. That's the value in buying your home. Not that it is an asset. Now, as financial planners, you know, people love to say, but you're worth this much because you have this equity in your home. Mm -hmm. But accessing it is a different thing. So along comes the government again. And I, I'm not anti-government. I'm just saying we need to pay attention to what has happened to us about the concept of home ownership. Because you are absolutely right. People used to pay $5,000 for a home. My parents paid $13,000 for their home for a nine-room colonial on four acres. Wow. And and when they got to the bank, the man for the closing, the, the seller said, oh, I have another 17 acres I'll give you for 500 bucks if you want. <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, I wish but, like I wish I knew now what I knew then I could go back and buy all that stuff. Oh my gosh. You know, it's really, it really is something. And, and one of the problems we have is, and I'll talk about home equity loans in a minute, but one of the problems we have with this investment idea is that people tend to refinance their homes over and over and over again. And this I will lay at the government's doorstep or the banking doorstep. When they started to say, look, you got this house that's worth all this money and you've got equity in it and that's your biggest asset and you should be able to use that asset without selling your house. And the home equity loan, second mortgage, name it what you will, was born. Mm -hmm. Here's a way for you to get money out of your house without selling it. 
So it seemed very logical. Mm-hmm. But now you've maxed out the value of your home and you're making this payment. And very often it's been done for things like, well, you said, I need a vacation, right? A lot of times people just say, look, this is, we have all this equity in our home and we want this expensive vacation. The kids are getting older. Disney won't wait. Europe looks good, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have the money. And it makes more sense to take it out of our home equity loan at, you know, 7% than it does to put it on this credit card at 25%. So we'll do that. Mm. And while we're at it, let's uh, pay off our credit cards and let's pay off our car and let's, you know, put some cash in the bank and we'll just use the equity in our home. And that all sounds great when you're getting ready to do it, when you're signing the papers to do it, mm-hmm. uh, because the payment is very small. And you think this is great. But, you know, 10 years later, if it's a line of credit, that is going to amortize. And you maybe have another 10 years to pay on it or 15 years to pay on it. And if you owe a lot of money, that's a fairly short term for a mortgage and your payment is going to skyrocket. Do you think that there is ever a good time to use the home equity line for anything? Yes, I do. Okay. Are you surprised by that? Yeah, a little bit. Because I sound so negative about it. I don't think it's a good thing to put the kinds of things we were just talking about on your home equity line. Mm -hmm. I know, I know the propaganda is, but the interest rate is lower. And it's deductible, or at least it was deductible. Mm -hmm. But I think there are better ways to manage that kind of debt. Where I think a home equity line makes the most sense is for home-related expenses. So, you know, windows cost a fortune these days. Painting costs a fortune. Everything costs a fortune, Mm -hmm. right? And if you don't have the capital to do it, and you absolutely must do it, you can't save for it, then a home equity line, I think, is a good place to put it because it makes sense, right? You're, you're borrowing against the equity in your home to improve your home. And hopefully raise the value. Well, maybe. Maybe. You might, okay. But that also can be a bit of a trap because people say, I'm going to throw a lot of money into the kitchen and the bathroom because that's where all the value is in the house. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful not to over-improve it. It will bring the value of your house up a bit. But ask any real estate agent and they'll tell you, although it may make it easier to sell, your house is only going to comp out. In other words, it's only going to compare in value to other houses that have sold in the last three months or six months in your area. Right, right, right. So, yes, an appraiser might give you a little more credit for a better bathroom and kitchen, but it's not common. I also think this is one of those times, and we've talked about this before, about where you need to really know yourself. Because I had a really good friend who took out a home equity loan to do just that, to do work on the house. And Mm -hmm. before she knew it, the money was gone on other things, whether it was credit cards or vacations or whatever it might be. And then that money that was going to be used towards the house, you know, was no longer there and nothing was improved on the house. Yeah, it happened. I think that maybe one of the most difficult things I say to people, uh, they don't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a a lesson well learned if they can grasp that and and warm up to the idea. When they're saying to me, well, we have this money available, you know, should we use this for that or should we use it for this? And I'll say, what would you have done if you didn't have that money available? Pretend that you're strapped for credit. Pretend you don't have a credit card. Mm -hmm. Pretend you don't have a home equity loan waiting in the wings. How would you manage this? And, you know, I have to give a pat on the back to one of my clients who called me yesterday, actually, to give me an update. So a few weeks ago, we had had a conversation about she wanted to take some money out of her investment. And I said that was fine. I could help her do that. But we had a real conversation about 
why she was doing it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, she wanted to make improvements on her home. And I said, what about a home equity line? Because your investments are earning more than that. And it is home improvements. And it was, you know, it's fairly minimal compared to the equity in her house. I didn't fear that she was over improving. She's quite a conservative person. And she said, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Plus, I owe my sister some money. I said, "Eh, well, hang on, hang on. (laughs) I, you know, owing your sister money. I'm not sure that should come out of your home equity line. But I just said to her, why don't you sleep on this and get back to me? There's nothing urgent here. Mm -hmm. And yesterday she called me and said, I don't want to take any money out of my investment. And I don't think I'm going to take that home equity loan. She said, I'm I'm saving pretty well. I'm just going to continue to save and do the repairs as needed. And if something really gets urgent or really gets out of hand, I can always fall back and get the home equity loan. Mm-hmm. And this is a woman who, when we started working together, you know, really would say to me, I, I just don't know anything about money. I, I, you've got to teach me about money. And now she's making these really prudent decisions. I'm so proud of her. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's talk more about this in the second half. But first, I want to get your phone number for anybody that might need a little help with this. Sure. And I just want to say, if I sound judgmental on the radio, I'm not that way when we meet. But this is my place to uh, Andy Rooney up. Uh, (laughs) So my number is 413-773-3333. Or as always, you can visit HugYourMoney.com. Much more with The Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rehm, coming up in part two of Financial Fitness right here on WHMP. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. The worst thing that people can do is when they refinance their house to roll everything in. We've been really struggling. And so if we can get some wiggle room by refinancing the house, I guess the goal is, oh, well, it'll be better. Even recently when I had gone to the credit union and the woman there had said, I could have helped you. But what she said was when she talked to me about the loan, it was rolling it all in. It was taking that credit debt that I do have and roll that in together. And then she was like, look at that. You'll only pay such and such. But then as I walked away from it, I thought, that's exactly what we keep doing. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. I don't blame her for what happened. I blame myself. As long as I'm working and making some money, I'm, I'm happy. Rather than argue with her about stuff, I would just say, oh, whatever. Do what you need to do. And the same thing for her sometimes. The friction. And it was just causing trouble in our relationship. Because I wanted to say, we don't have the money for this. You can't buy that. But yet, I don't want to deny it to her. Because I do all the books, he has no idea about the budget. He has no idea what I have to do to manage a budget. Actually, I don't believe very much in fairy godmothers. (laughs) But mama. (laughs) Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial Literacy and the Human Condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, 
Doctor Francis Rayum. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the Money Doctor, Doctor Francis Rayum. Hello. Hey, Jess. We're talking about whether buying a home and home equity and home equity lines, whether they're, I mean, not whether they're good or not, but whether you should be doing that for certain things or not. Yeah, and all with the eye on this lead off in our topic, which is if you think you're building immediate wealth by buying a home, think again. Now. I would expand on that a bit and say, of course, there are ways to build equity in real estate. Mm -hmm. People ask me all the time, is real estate a good investment? And I will always say, as part of your portfolio, I would be a hypocrite if I said, no, I've bought and sold my share of real estate and made good money on it. Mm -hmm. So there is a way to build wealth in real estate. But we're talking about your primary residence. Yeah, I know we had questions from listeners a few shows ago, and one of the questions was about generational wealth. And you were saying if you're buying a vacation property or whatever that you can sell, but not your primary residence. You know, that's a very good point, because when we're talking about building wealth, it may not be wealth that you get out of your primary residence. But, Mm -hmm. you know, recently I had a, a client whose parent died and left them a bunch of property. And the property was mostly paid for and can be liquidated and, you know, whatever had to be paid off on it was. But that wealth is now passing to his heirs. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, he did build wealth, at least for the next generation, with the real estate. And it was a primary residence mostly. So that is important. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just to put this into a little perspective, Jess, you know, we have all these statistics from the database, right, of, of what really happens in the real world with our clients and their debt and their monetary assets and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I, I lean on those because I breathe them, right? We know it's not somebody who got paid to slant something a certain way. This is really what comes out of our system with a cross-check on all of our people, which is a pretty varied group of people. And I will tell you that it's pretty interesting. When we look at just averages, right, the average monthly payment for all the debt that our people have mm-hmm. is just a little over $2,000. Really? Now, yeah. Now, most of the time, it's more than that. But we have a lot of people with no debt. Okay. I was going to say, that seems low to me. Yeah, it pulls it down. But the total average debt of the people that do have debt with us is 273000 mm. And that includes their mortgage. Yeah. Now, when we talk about that, when we talk about debt companies where, you know, debt companies manage credit card debt, that's what they do, right? Mm-hmm. But we're managing student loans and mortgages and everything else in here. So to, to just put a finer point on that, if their total average debt is 273000 and the average mortgage is 225000 mm-hmm. okay, it's silly to ignore that. And in terms of building wealth, well, let's look at it this way. The average original payoff for our clients when they come to us, right, and they've got credit card debt and student loans and car payments and 401k loans and mortgages, right? Mm-hmm. The average payoff is 31.2 years. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. The average timeline with us is 8.7. Yeah, it's a, that's incredible. So it is incredible. And, you know, people do it every day, right? But when we're talking about building wealth, if you're going to look at building equity in your home, mm-hmm. even if it's your primary residence, which we're saying, look, don't pay attention to your primary residence as an asset, right? Mm-hmm. But it, let's say this. Let's say you pay your mortgage off with us in, in an average, let's say, because the mortgage is usually the last priority debt, 8.7 years. Now... 
you have all equity in your house. Mm-hmm. Now, if the market is good and you decide to sell it and move somewhere else or whatever, you're you're beating the game a bit, right? You're ahead of the yeah, you're game. in a much better position. Yeah, and what a lot of people choose to do when they find that they can pay houses off this quickly is to buy another one. Mm-hmm. All right, I just paid my house off. And for some people, it's five years. For some people, it's 10 years. You know, it averages at 8.7. But if you can buy one house off, now you might be buying another property that is a rental income property or maybe it's in a vacation area. You're going to Airbnb it. Maybe it's uh, just another house that you're going to flip. Maybe it's commercial real estate. Maybe it's land. But once you learn how to pay them off quickly like this without sending, you know, gobs and gobs of extra money, then you can really leverage that. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I see a lot, because I, I love all these HGTV shows, and this is not ideal for a lot of people, but if you're willing to buy like a duplex or something that has a guest house on it, somewhere where you can have or even have a roommate where that money is going towards the mortgage. So you're paying off a good portion of it with someone else's money. Yeah. You know, I recommend that often with people when money is really tight and they just don't have any any other place to turn to. Mm-hmm. And when there's really no place else, I'll say, have you considered a roommate? And, you know, they may not like it, but it could be a big solution. And you're absolutely right. When people are trying to get into a home and I feel like they might be buying too much home and they're going to get themselves in trouble, I remind them that the reason you're doing this is because you want to have a better life. Mm-hmm. And how it feel when you can't make your mortgage payment every month. You're not going to be very happy. So think of it as plan A, plan B. Maybe your first house is a duplex. Now, here's a perfect example of building equity in a property as an asset. Buy a duplex, for instance. Tolerate being a landlord. You know, make sure that one rent will pretty much float your mortgage if you can do it. You know, that you're on side, that you can pay for it. Mm-hmm. Second rent that's coming in is a bonus and, you know, allow yourself, they say 75% occupancy. I'm going to say 50. Mm-hmm. If you can load it with a 50% occupancy, I'm I'm going to give that my, my vote of approval. And now do what we're talking about, pay it off ahead of schedule, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's plan A. And then plan B might be your dream home. Right. And you may choose to keep your first house and get the rental income on it. It's paid off by then or close to it, right? Mm -hmm. Or you might choose to sell it and then it really does become an asset. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of profit in real estate, but I think you have to be careful not to say things like, well, real estate always goes up. It Mm -hmm. doesn't always go in a straight line. It goes up and down just like anything else. I, I do like that it's a tangible asset, that it will have some value of some sort almost always. And I do think that you've got to keep in mind, like especially with you're talking about your sister having an apartment, that you're going to have expenses with houses. Like you're responsible for all of that stuff, whether it's a new roof or a hot water heater or whatever, you know, th- that's always going to come up. Well, there's no doubt. And if, if you're wondering why homeowners association fees go up or rentals go up, it's because somebody has to foot that bill mm-hmm. and t- keep going up and repairs keep going up. So when you're buying a condo or you're renting an apartment, you're in some form of home ownership. You just may not be in the kind that you see it as a single family dwelling. I was reading this story, which I thought was really interesting about this woman who bought a house in Atlanta. And I don't know how much it was, 300000 or whatever. And she got herself a tiny home, put it in the backyard and then rented out the main house. So she's mm-hmm. basically living for free because the mortgage is getting paid and she's living in the tiny house in the backyard. Yes. Yeah. Well, as long as your zoning allows that sort of stuff, you have to always check on those things. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, people get very creative with the way that they make money on real estate. And, and you can, I used to say that when I would buy a home and then flip it, right? I would say, I don't make money when I sell it. I make money when I buy it. 
Hmm. And I really meant that because I would buy it for less than it was worth. Right, I would have right. equity in it. And I knew that I would then, you know, improve it slightly and then sell it. So, yeah, you know, it's it's a funny world when you're looking at those kinds of things. Let's put a little perspective on a mortgage. Now, I told you that our people, the average mortgage is 225000 Again, average is a kind of weird to deal with because people say that's all. You have to remember that there's people with, you know, a $5,000 mortgage left in these numbers and people with million-dollar mortgages, right? Yeah, 225000 does seem low for what houses are going for right now. Well, you need to also remember that this is not a brand-new mortgage for people. The people that we're drawing these numbers from have already got mortgages, most of them, and have been paying on them for years. Right, right, right. So the average amount of mortgage that they're carrying when they are in our program right now is 225000 Now, the interest rate right now is hovering around 6.89, 6.91, just under 7%. It's awful. But it, well, it's awful. Just, just wait, it could be worse. So 200, 225000 on a 30-year fixed rate loan at that kind of interest rate, 6.89. Now, we're not talking about adding taxes and insurance or... Condo fees or whatever there might be, yeah. Yeah, or anything. And just that payment for 30 years is almost $1,500. It's mm-hmm. $1,480, I think. Now, of that payment, when we're talking about are you building equity, when you're starting off a loan, less than 200 bucks of that is going to principal. Oh, it's so awful. Yeah, which is one of those things that, you know, when you break that down, there's about, 100 and, I don't know, $185 roughly of that is principal. And, you know, somewhere around 1300 of it, again, roughly ballpark, is uh, interest. Now, as you continue the loan, the more you pay on it, the more principal comes out of every payment and less interest. But they are stacked up front in high interest. Now, that means when people are refinancing, 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 I say pay attention to what you're doing. So what happens is people refinance their home because, oh, maybe they want to take a little money out to fix it up or whatever, and they don't think about the home equity line angle. Maybe a banker has said, look, we have a better rate, right? And usually what happens is they refinance to get a better rate and a lower payment. And the reason they get a better rate and a lower payment is that rates have gone down and you're stretching it out usually to another 30-year loan. Sometimes people will try to do it in 15, but... Let's just say that you're refinancing your 30-year loan, which you've been paying on for 10 years, uh-huh. and a new 30-year loan. And you say, but look how much lower my payment is. You've already paid on it for 10 years, and now you're stretching it out for another 30. But what you really need to pay attention to, and I, I've never found anybody, not one single person I've talked to who closed on their loan and had anybody say to them, but you realize you're going to be paying all interest up front again, right? Oh, that's awful. <laughs> There should come with a disclaimer, like on cigarettes. Well, you know, I'm sure it's in, I mean, it's in the amortization schedules they give you, right? Right. But who thinks about that? What they're thinking about is I got a lower payment, I get cash out, I can fix my problems, I'll sign here, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. But that's what you're doing when you're refinancing. You're starting that interest rate clock ticking all over again. And that is, you asked me earlier, is there a place for a home equity line or home equity loan? Yeah, instead of doing a cash out refi, when you have to take equity out of your home for home repairs, you know, that might be a better way to do it. No closing costs. Yes, you're paying interest only. Mm-hmm. One word of caution here. The things that I recommend that people do, I do because that's how we see it in Hug Your Money. It may not be the same advice outside of Hug Your Money. And what I mean by that is if you take a home equity line of credit, let's say, 
we talked about this earlier, we probably have a 10-year drawdown period, and then it's going to amortize over 10 or 15 years, which means it becomes a real loan with a principal and interest payment at that point. Okay. But during that drawdown period, a home equity line of credit or a HELOC is interest only. Now, you might pay more than that, but most people pay the interest only. And the sad part about that is you are paying all interest for 10 years, and it's all gone. That's it. And then you're going to amortize that loan. What we do typically, as I said, our people are out of debt on average 8.7 years, and that includes you know, their mortgage, their home equity line, all of that. What we try to do is when we put it in our system, let's make sure that it's getting our margin, what we call margin, too long to go into right now, but let's make sure that it's getting margin enough to pay it off before the 10-year mark, before it ever amortizes. Phew, a lot of information. Too much. I'm exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get your phone number. People have more questions for you, and I'm sure they will. Sure. 473-3333. Or as always, they can go to hugyourmoney.com. Or if you would like to send us an email, you can send that to info at hugyourmoney.com. Make sure you put radio in the subject line. And then if we use your question on the air, you're going to get a copy of the book. Absolutely. The book is called Get or Alive. It's sold on Amazon for $15.95. And uh, we'd be happy to get your copy of it. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, right here on WHMP. This is Francis Rayum, the Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. We don't know where we'd be without her and Hug Your Money. The recommendations, the strategies, she is just this rock. We got the news that uh, Carrie had a tumor inside her spinal cord. Our lives changed um, right on a dime. It's very stressful. It's devastating financial spiral downhill. We're solid, but it can put a strain on the best of marriages. Who do you look to to regain that control? I'm Mike. I'm Carrie. We chose to use this to strengthen our marriage, and it works. And I would recommend this. It has brought us closer together and only strengthened us. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. This is Francis Rayum, the Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. We don't have a lot of debt. Actually, I'd say we have almost none. And so that sort of made me fear we didn't need Hug Your Money. Hi, I'm Cheryl. I am Robin. I'm recently retired. For me, retiring was really scary. We're not really good when it comes to handling money and knowing what to do with it. Even if you have just a little bit of debt, you still have to do something with your money and make your money work for you. And Cheryl agreed with that. So we made an appointment. We decided to sign on board. Yeah, we learned an awful lot and uh, are still doing that. Whether you've got little debt or mountains of debt, I still think that perspective is invaluable. A tremendous help. Yep. Hug your money. (laughs) Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug your money. So unique, it's patented. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off, it should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. Financial literacy and the human condition. 
Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Hello. Well, hello, Jess. How are you this morning? I am good. We avoided the uh, shutdown. <laughs> By the skin of our teeth and only for a while, maybe. We'll right. see. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, you know, I'm ranting about how bad the government is and I want to lock them up in a room and make them agree. And then lo and behold, you know, as they often do when they realize it's not going to look good on them, mm-hmm. uh, they say, okay, okay, well, we'll do something for a little while here and see if we can get by ourselves some more time to talk it out. Well, and now that's caused all sorts of other problems because they're trying to oust Kevin McCarthy because of it. So just a lot of drama going on. <laughs> There's always drama in politics, but lately, man, you just can't just can't turn the TV on without, uh, something. in my case, wanting to turn it back off. <laughs> What are we talking about today, about the shutdown? Well, we're not talking more about the shutdown today, but we are talking about something because, you know, I do rant about the government and complain about it. But uh, every now and then we have something really good from the government. This this is brought to mind because I've been getting some calls from some uh, a few employees who work for a local firm in Turner's Falls. It's a pretty big employer. And they've decided to freeze their pension to stop paying their pension. And so these people have options about how do they want to take their money. And, of course, they get this really confusing packet. Uh, how do I sort this out? You know, I had a call the other day from somebody who is way under 59 and a half thinking that they might have to be penalized because they're under 59 and a half. And mm-hmm. so we can go through some details on that. You do not have to be penalized because you're under 59 and a half unless you take the money out completely. Right. So there's there are ways around this. Okay. Um, so for pensions, um, just because I don't know a ton about pensions, were certain firms required to have them or they did it willingly? Really? You don't know about pensions? Come <laughs> on, Jess. Everybody knows about pensions. <laughs> I mean, I'd love a pension, but I don't have one coming. No, and most people don't. There are some companies still paying pensions, and a pension is a really lovely thing. If, if you're not familiar with it, if you're the employee, you don't put any money in, but mm-hmm. you get some sort of benefit at the end because the company has contributed money on your behalf. Um, and so, no, companies are not required to have pensions. Uh, in fact, you know, crash course history lesson here, everybody used to have pensions. That's mm-hmm. how a company lured you into employment and why people stayed for 25 years or whatever, because their pension was so good. Right. And you used to hear that. Oh, I, got a, I went to work for so-and-so. They had a great pension plan. Mm-hmm. And then we had 401ks and they were meant to augment, to supplement pensions. But you know what happened? The yeah. company started saying, I don't have to pay you a pension. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll match whatever you're putting into your 401k. And it's usually maxed out at a certain percent, like 6% or, you know, somewhere around there. Well, yeah. I mean, recently I heard of somebody who was contributing 3 and their company was contributing 10 That's unheard of. Yeah, that's free Absolutely money. Unheard- no, so what's happened now is a lot of employers aren't contributing anything, mm-hmm. and they're stopping their pension plans. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what that means, because it's really scary for somebody who's relying on that pension to get a letter one day in the mail from their plan administrator that says, uh, we're freezing your pension, and you're going to have to make a decision. Well, especially if you're like at like 22, 23 years, and you're like, what? Yeah, yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a hefty packet. You've got to get through, you know, 30, 40, 50 pages, whatever the document is. Um, so let's, let's talk about the skinny of it. First of all, uh, I'll talk 
in the second half, especially about what options you can take and what might be best for you to take. Okay. But the one thing I want to say right now is whatever you decide, if it's within that pension plan, it's going to be a permanent decision. If you say, I want to take a lifetime income of an annuity, that's a permanent decision. So there are very rare cases where it will allow you to do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so we'll go through that as well so people know what to choose. But when I started this off, I said the government, you know, had done something great. And, and I want to point this out. You've probably never heard of it, but there is, in fact, a Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Okay. It's, it's a federal agency. I've never heard uh, of it. Nobody ever hears of these things, right? The only, if you hear of them, it's because there was a problem. Right, exactly. <laughs> They're the kind of things you don't want to hear about. But this was created by the Employment Retirement Income Security Act of 74. We call this ERISA, E-R-I-S-A for short. Okay. And basically, it protects the benefits for people having pensions from either a single employer or a multi-employer in the private sector. So this is a government plan that protects the private sector. Finally. <laughs> right. It protects it how? Like if somehow that money went away, they would be responsible for it or reimburse it or? That's exactly right. Okay. So so let's talk about the little ins and outs of this stuff because it's kind of interesting and pretty great to know if you find yourself in this position, mm-hmm. including how do you know what your company's pension plan looks like? Is it secure or not? How can you find out? And if it's not, what are you what are you up for? Because this is becoming more and more common these days, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to call them PBGC for short. Okay. PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. I'm okay? now th- I'm now thinking about peanut butter and jelly. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> PBNJ, right? <laughs> the PBGC Corporation. You want one of those sandwiches, exactly. <laughs> so the first question I get from people is, uh, oh. My company says they're going bank bankrupt or they're going into receivership. What's going to happen with my pension? Mm-hmm. That's an immediate thought, especially after the whole Enron thing, which we we know it was company stock, but we still still you know equate that with a, a company's financial health and our pension. Mm-hmm. And so, if your company goes into bankruptcy, does that necessarily mean that your pension will not be paid out? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. That's good. But yeah, that'd be the first thing I'd be panicking about. Yeah, well, people do. And can you blame them? Mm. You know, I mean, really, when you think about this, I I always love it when people say self-employment has no job security. Mm. Because I always think, well, I'm not going to fire me if I'm (laughs) (laughs) self-employed. You know, maybe some days. But I also think, you know, working for another company is, you know, feels like job security, except you have to remember, you're not really in control of any of that. No, I mean, you could have a company CEO who's running it into the ground, who's not good with money. You can have, you know, embezzlement. There's all sorts of things that can happen that Absolutely. you have no control over. I mean, they can pack up and move to Mexico. Right. And you may not want to go, you know. So there's a lot of things you have to think about there. But in any case, a lot of companies who file bankruptcy do it to come back on their feet, to get back on their feet. They do it uh, to to be able to, you know, get shed the bad creditors or reorganize the, the creditor payments that they have and be able to pay them back. And a lot of these companies will emerge safely with the pension intact. Okay. So, I was going to say bankruptcy, a lot of times people think of it as going out of business, but I know that I worked for a previous radio, radio company. I won't say the name, but they filed bankruptcy, but it was just to like reorganize debts, sort of? That's right. Okay. Yeah. 
yeah, they get a new payment schedule, you know, better terms, and they just they go into receivership or they go into bankruptcy and they get their stuff together. Mm-hmm. And they Hopefully. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of times they help through these processes, especially if they're a large employer, because nobody wants to see all these people out of work. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to see the revenue leave, leave a town. And so they're, they help through the system with the courts. Now, if they were not able to pay their pension, that is when PBGC would come in place into play. And okay? that's and that's if the company has that or they're all required to have it. It's a federal organization, so it's not that they have it or don't have it. The government this plan is in place. Okay, so it's, it's just right. provided for it's not it's not like an elected thing. Right. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah. It's not like uh you bought some insurance on your pension because you were worried about your company. So is this now, sort of this, like an FDIC at the bank? Yeah, like that. Or okay. the state guarantee fund that we talk about, which backs uh, annuities and life insurance, right? Yep. In case it goes bankrupt, and we've done shows about that where I say, but wait, there's a state guarantee fund in Massachusetts and in, in all the states, as far as I know, that says uh, if this company that promised you this money under guarantee rules doesn't pay it, you, you, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you're able to file to the state guarantee fund, and that backs us up. Okay. And this is a lot like this. In fact, it's called a guarantee association. By the way, these guarantees are always wise. The Guarantee Fund, the Guarantee Association, <laughs> G-U-A-R-A-N-T-Y, in case you're looking for it okay. on the web. Okay. So as long as it's a private sector um, pension plan and it's from a single employer or a multi-employer, it's going to have this coverage. Now, this is a good time for me to say that does not mean your 401K. Okay. Right? This is only covering things that are called... Uh, defined benefit plans. In other words, somebody said at some point you will get this benefit at the end. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with your 401k. The 401k is you're going to get whatever you get at the end based on how much you've contributed. Right. So defined benefit plans are, are offered by private sector employers, right? And they might include things like um, a cash balance plan, right? But they won't be 401k plans or profit sharing plans. Those will not have this coverage. So pay attention to that for sure. Okay. So when PBGC gets involved, there's basically two ways they might become involved. One is through standard termination of a pension plan, and the other is through a distress termination of a pension plan. So the standard one is what I suspect uh, the local company is doing, where they're not in financial distress, they're not about to file bankruptcy, they're They just want to change things the way they're doing them. They just want to end their pension plan, pay it out, stop hiring new employees under a pension plan, and move on. And I'm assuming as employees, you don't have any rights to that, right? Because that was just kind of an added benefit when you got hired. It wasn't, it's not like you can say, no, I don't want you to do that. Yeah, well, short of a union, uh, I would say probably not. Okay. (laughs) I mean, sometimes people strike and say, we don't want you to end our pension, but that would be a tough one, Mm -hmm. I got to say, because they can hire new people. You know, that's that's a tough thing. And it's usually quite welcome, actually, uh, by people because one of the things you can do is if you're eligible to take that pension because they've stopped it, in your packet it might say, guess what you can do? You can take your pension benefits and continue to work for us if you want. Mm -hmm. Or you can take them and do something else with them. But we're just not going to keep adding to this pension fund. So a standard termination... They can only do this. A company can only 
ask for, apply for a standard termination from PBGC, who has to grant it, if they show PBGC that they have enough money to pay all these benefits. Okay. And then they must either purchase an annuity from an insurance company that provides lifetime benefits to you, or if the plan allows, they can issue a lump sum. But they have to give you an advance notice that identifies whatever insurance company this is Mm -hmm. uh, within uh, 60 days, I think it is. Um, And then PBGC guarantee uh, ends up with your employer purchases the annuity, and then that's it. The annuity is the end of the PBGC um, protection, right? Once they purchase that annuity, PBGC protection ends because the, the annuity is underwritten by an insurance company. Okay. And so we've gone back in full circle to another another government organization or state organization, right, where that annuity, if it's in fact a fixed annuity and these almost always are. In my experience, I've never seen one that's not, um, is, you know, co- may be covered, I should say, under the guarantee fund in your, in your state. So this is all meant to protect retirees who have, you know, a conservative lifestyle ahead of them because they will have some sort of fixed income. So we're not, we're not playing uh, dice with pension dollars here. Or you know, even your um, your annuity dollars, right? You want those to be secure and safe. All right. So some ideas on what you can do if you are in this situation coming up in the second half. But first, I want to get your phone number. Sure, it's four one three seven seven three. 3333. Or you can visit HugYourMoney.com. Part two of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up next on WHMP. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off, it should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the money doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Hi. Hi. And we are, we're talking pensions, which I wish I had, but um, I do not. And most people don't. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that. I- I think, um, you know, there's been a steady decline of how many companies offer pensions, and, and you can see why. I mean, they're very expensive for the company. I was looking they, up stats on this today, and um, percentage of private employers that offer traditional pensions fell from 35% in the early 90s to 18% in 2011, and now only 15% last year, 2022, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, although, yeah. on the other hand, about 86% of government workers have access to a pension. Gee, really? Mm-hmm. Amazing, right? Yeah, it really, it really is. But it obviously used to be a huge thing, and now you know companies probably just don't want to pay out that money anymore. Well, it's very expensive, and they can get away with, uh, you know, hey, we've got a great four hundred one k. But you know, the four hundred one k is kind of like Social Security was. It wasn't designed to be your only retirement plan, but it has become that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I see people really struggle. Like, I've got to put more money in my four hundred one k. I'm afraid I won't have enough to retire. How can I put more money in my 401k? And that's really the opposite of what people used to do. They used to get a job with a good firm, and they would get a pension, and they would go to work for 25 years, 35 Mm -hmm. years, whatever. And then they knew that pension was going to be waiting for them at the end. It was a 
guaranteed thing. Look, I work for, what, I'll use the railroad as an example because I still do things like this. I'm going to work for the railroad and then I'm going to retire with my pension. And a, and a company watch. Yeah, and a company watch. Yes, exactly. So what happens when companies don't have enough money to pay out those pensions? What if they promised you a pension and now they can't do it? Mm-hmm. So that is when a company will file for a distress termination with uh, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation or Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation in some cases will come in and cause that to happen if they're worried about a company not being able to pay their employees their full pension. Now, you were saying in the first half that you were getting some calls on this firm in Turner's Falls or just, uh, you know, other businesses where they used to have a pension, but now they're paying it out. What what should people do with that? Should you just roll it all over into a 401k? It sounds like no, based on what you just said. Well, no, it's not necessarily no, but um, you're going to need to do something with it. And your options may be different, whether you're single or married. But, um, you know, the last gentleman that called me was saying, you know, I've got all these options in front of me. And it looks like the two options I have is I can roll it into my 401k or I can roll it into an IRA. Mm hmm. And he said, I'm under 59 and a half, so I don't want to have to pay a penalty on this. And I'm saying, well, first of all, if you roll it to your 401k or an IRA, you're not paying the penalty. You're only going, he's talking about the, the pre-59 and a half penalty for withdrawing qualified funds, mm-hmm. which is 10%. So if you had $100,000 in there and you say, just give me the money, I'm going to Foxwoods, you know, <laughs> then you're all at 90 grand, right? And and if you're still working for that employer, you're taking it out of your 401k, uh, excuse me, not even if you're still working, but if you're just taking it straight out of your 401k, they're going to withhold 20% tax off the top. So mm-hmm. now you're getting 70 grand, okay? So most people don't want to do that, or they think they have to do it because they can't find another solution to their finances, which is where we come in trying to say, can we solve this problem another way? Because protecting those assets for you, leaving them, growing is a way for you to benefit from them for years to come. And if we just spend them now, we're back to square one. You might Mm -hmm. as well have never started that. So things you can do. Yes, you can roll it to an IRA. Yes, you can take the annuity they might offer. Yes, you can put it in a 401k. You could transfer it to your next company's 401k. Would I do any of those things? Maybe, depending on your personal circumstance. But I like to think of this as an opportunity to diversify. Okay. And I was going to say, you can split it up into into multiple things, can't you? Well, you could. Yeah. I mean, it's a little complicated paperwork-wise. But yeah, there's no reason that you couldn't transfer some to an IRA, some to your 401k, you know, take an annuity. They may not allow you to take a partial payment annuity, but but there are ways to do it privately. Okay. That's a little easier. And when I say an opportunity to diversify, a lot of times what people think that means is... Uh, that's an opportunity to buy more stocks or mutual funds or bonds, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what we've come to think of about diversification. But what I'm saying is, rather than having all your eggs in one basket, rather than picking up this pension or pension dollars that came from your original employer and moving them to your current employer into your 401k just because it seems easy to you, you know, everything's in one place. Mm-hmm. You have this opportunity to manage that money privately, and, and that gives you, in some ways, diversification. Here's an example. You could take that money. You could still do an annuity with it if you wanted to, right? You can do it anything you want as long as it qualifies as an IRA. Mm-hmm. But let's suppose that you do an annuity for a moment. Let's suppose you do 
uh, an indexed annuity, a fixed indexed annuity. You might have market potential for gains, but without the losses. That means now you know, okay, that money's safe, principal's guaranteed, I can still earn money based on how the market is doing, and the worst I'm going to have is a, a zero year, but on the upside, I'm going to have some upside gain, right? Mm-hmm. Not all the upside gain. That's a trade-off. But that means that maybe I can feel more aggressive about the money that's in my 401k that's already in stocks or mutual funds. Maybe the fact that I have this money pocketed, right? I know this stuff's safe. I can put my head on the pillow. That means I can free myself up a little to be a little more aggressive on the other side and try to get those gains because it gives you a base. Mm -hmm. So it's one way you could do it. Now, you could reverse that and say, well, my... My 401k is, you know, not doing great, and I don't really like the way it's being managed, and I'm not going to keep putting a lot of money in there for whatever reason. It's not, again, what I would advise, but you could say that. And you could say, I want to take this money, and I want to put it with a broker, and I want them to try to grow it as much as they can, and I don't care if I have losses. Mm -hmm. But either way, you wouldn't have these options if you just lump it into one place. I guess you could argue that you could choose different buckets within your 401k, but the fact of the matter is most people put the money in the 401k. They always say to me, well, what do you mean manager? There's somebody managing, somebody <laughs> managing that? Uh, the guy came when they set it up. I've never seen anybody since. Right. I asked my HR person. They say, here's your statement. So, you know, really think about this. This is an opportunity, big opportunity. When a company is ending their pension, I know it might feel like, wow, there goes my pension. Boy, I was counting on that. Mm -hmm. But you don't have control over it. So you got to kind of live with it and make the best of it. And the best of it is what you do with that money. And I I hate to say this, but it's not that, that privately you can always beat the deal that you're getting from the company. It's not always the case. And sometimes you see it very clearly right away. But in many, many, many cases, I just take the, the papers from the company and it says, this is your payout and, you know, monthly payout, and this is your lump sum available if you have one. And I can pit them against each other immediately, shop the market, and bam, even with a guaranteed account, we might be able to, to greatly improve that monthly payout if we use the lump sum benefit privately to do it, even under guarantees. So, it, and if it doesn't work, you know it immediately. So there's no no risk in just saying, you know, check this out. See, see if we right. can make this better. Yeah, just don't automatically make a snap decision to just roll it into your 401k because there might be better options for you. Yeah, you know, I do want to talk to people for a second about their rights because I'm, I'm squawking about, you know, you have the right to do this. You can diversify. You can manage this money privately. You can have the kind of help you want from somebody who knows who you are and who you can call on the phone and say, I need an answer to this, mm-hmm. right? And not just your accountant who fills out the tax form at the end of the year or the person who set up the 401k that you never see. So you do have some rights here. And one of your rights, I want to make this very clear, is that you have the legal right to know how your pension plan is doing now. You don't have to wait for the day that you get the letter mm-hmm. from your plan administrator that says uh, you'll be getting a letter from PBGC. Right, your plan administrator has to give you an annual written notice about the funding status of your plan. Mm-hmm. If you aren't getting that, if you haven't seen it, request it in writing. It is your legal right to have that. And if you need help sorting it out, you know you can ask us to help you, and we'll be happy to 
help sort that through for you and give you an idea of what's really, what looks like the financial status of that plan. You know, it's just, it's just so distressing to hear when people are worried about their pension, Mm -hmm. when they've counted on it so much, at least for their 401k, you kind of have an idea. You know, I feel like I'm contributing enough. I'm not contributing enough. You have a sense of that. But with the pension, you're kind of just hanging on for the ride. Right. Uh, Just a quick question about uh, 401k. How often do you think people should be looking at that? Obviously, not just when you get the statement, but is it once a week? Is it once a month? Oh, you know my answer. (laughs) (laughs) It's different for everyone. No, but I like, I no, I, well, I think it's different for everyone because we're all unique, but I don't like people to micromanage it. Don't look at it every day. You'll drive yourself crazy mm-hmm. and you'll make knee jerk decisions that end up costing you in the end. On the other hand, the, the idea of just, you know, set it and forget it. The Ron Popeil thing, you know, here's your 401k, yep. your 50% stock, 50% bonds, don't touch it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think that's the best plan. I think that's the lazy the lazy advisor's plan, you know, just set it up and don't touch it, you know. Mm-hmm. But but I do think, you know, if you can check at least your quarterly statements when they come in, take it as a reminder, oh, there's my quarterly statement. I got it in paper. I got it on online, whatever. I should go in there and see how that's doing. Mm-hmm. And here's the biggest tip, the one thing people forget when they look at how it's doing. Okay. They look at how it's doing and they say, look how much it's grown. And remember that some of that is your money. Right, your initial, well, well, actually, no, the money you're putting in from your paycheck all the time that you would have had anyway. Yeah. That's right. It's your contribution. So don't just look at what the balance is. Look at what it's paying. Mm -hmm. Look at the interest rate that it's earned over this period of time. And then go back. You know, just this quarter, oh, I'm losing money. Oh, I'm gaining money. Go back and see how you've done for the last 12 months or a couple of years or whatever time frame makes you feel comfortable. And then if you're unhappy with the way it's performing, you know, squawk, get that plan administrator on the phone. Believe me, they exist and say, Hey, I've got this 401k you're supposed to be managing, manage it. Okay. Last tip. If you're under 59 and a half, you may be eligible for something called an in-service transfer. That means you can actually take your 401k out, use it to diversify like we're talking about and still continue to contribute to your employer's plan. Okay, and you can find that out from, like, HR? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can find it out from HR. You can call us, and we'll help you. But it, it's available to most people these days. All right, well, let's get your phone number if people do want to call. They can reach us at 413-773-3333. As always, if you send in a question and we use it on the air, you're going to get a copy of the book. Debt or Alive, Uplifting Stories and Positive Solutions for Life After Death. And as always, you can go to HugYourMoney.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. We'll be back with another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up next Saturday right here on WHMP. Have you heard about Get the Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high-quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 to get 10% off your order exclusively for my listeners. Again, GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. 
Have you heard about Get The Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off, it should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners. Getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. I don't blame her for what happened. I blame myself. As long as I'm working and making some money, I'm, I'm happy. Rather than argue with her about stuff, I would just say, oh, whatever, do what you need to do. And the same thing for her sometimes, the friction. And it was just causing trouble in our relationship because I wanted to say, we don't have the money for this. You can't buy that. But yet, I don't want to deny it to her. Because I do all the books, he has no idea about the budget. He has no idea what I have to do to manage a budget. Actually, I don't believe very much in fairy godmothers. (laughs) But mama. (laughs) Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented.